I haven't had a chance to share with you in a couple weeks. Uh, two weeks ago I was here, but our friends the Brocks, our new friends the Brocks were here, uh, and they shared a message with us that morning, which I apologize if you weren't here, it did not get recorded. So uh, I apologize for that. But we'll try to have them back at some point and share with us again. And then last week, uh, while we were away on vacation, uh, I heard this morning, uh, he was referred to as Graybeard Kevin. I don't know where that came from. Graybeard McVicker, Graybeard McVicker, shared with you on community and um, small groups and building community, uh, and I heard he did a fantastic job. That's kind of been our focus this year. I shared with you guys on the first of the year that uh, our direction, it's not a new vision, but it's sort of our direction and our focus for this coming year is going to be on community. Three aspects, loving our community, which is the outreach part that we talked about, building this community, which is the... uh, small group and kind of relational dynamic that Kevin shared with you last week. And then the third thing is learning to be community. And this is kind of where we started. This, this part of it really deals with our interaction and relationship with one another and just learning to relate in a godly and healthy manner with one another. So it's, it's, it's not easy, is it? Anybody, anybody have a relationship with anybody else of any kind? Yeah. Okay, so you got, whether you're married, kids, neighbors, friends, family, schoolmates, co-workers, um, in those relationships, even the very best of them, even when you're really connected, sometimes you bump heads, don't you? It's a little tough. And we want to learn to do that in an appropriate and effective manner. We, we realize, we recognize, and I think the Bible recognizes, uh, Jesus recognizes that that's going to happen. And so we want to learn to do that well. So we talked a little bit about communication. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about self-evaluation, kind of looking at ourselves first before we start pointing fingers at other people. And uh, that's such a a huge part of this. So I want to continue in sort of that same vein today, talking about learning to relate well. Uh, I've got a couple verses in the Gospel of John that will be our launching pad. We'll sort of take off from there. So I want to read those two verses, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it. Uh, First chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 14 and verse 17. says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's become a pretty famous verse in the last few years. Eugene Peterson's translation in the message, he says, you know, the Word word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And that first part, I think, we've grabbed onto. It's the second part of that verse I want to focus on today. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Beautiful came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, just a couple verses later, he says this, For the law was given through Moses. Old Testament, the law was given to Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we open our hearts this morning and we say, Would you uh, give us insight and wisdom and revelation into grace and truth and what it means uh, to receive that from you and to walk in it in our own lives. In your name we pray, amen. I've said before, and... We'll say it again. Uh, Jesus is the fullest expression of God that we have. He's the clearest image. He's the most perfect representation. If you want to know what God is like, what is God like, you look at Jesus Christ. And that's where you see the fullest representation of God that we have. What is God like? He's like Jesus. That's what God is like. And in that, then, Jesus also becomes sort of our example for godly living. He is Jesus is the prototypical spirit-filled person. What does a spirit-filled life look like? Well, it looks like that. It looks like that. Jesus was a he was 
And again, there's mystery in this. He was fully God, but he was fully man too. He was a human being, and he was a spirit-filled human being. And that's what it looks like for a spirit-filled person to walk and live. And uh, we can learn a lot about how we relate to other people through the life of Jesus. Um, John tells us Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I love that. We could dissect that a little bit and, and uh, kind of look back into the original language, which I started to do. Uh, and I, as, I, as I did that, I realized that it means pretty much what it says. There's, there's not a whole lot more we can gain by going back to the Greek. What he means here is that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Uh, this is a classic uh, both-and sort of situation. He's not full of grace or truth. It's not 50-50. It's not 70-30, 60-40, or any other way you could break that down. He's full totally of grace and full totally of truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. The best news, I think, for you and I in that little passage is verse 17, and that's what we talked about just a minute ago. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so not only is he full of grace and truth, but then he passes that grace and truth on. It comes through him into our lives. We too, as spirit-filled people, can walk in grace and truth. That's good news. That's good news. Didn't end with him. It goes on. continues on. And we can walk in grace and truth. So my title today is putting on the lenses of grace and truth. How do we look at life and how do we embrace life and how do we interact with one another uh, in grace and truth um, as his ambassadors, his representatives on earth today? And here's, I mean, to me, that's the, that's the beauty of serving our community the thousand hours and anything like that is that we represent Jesus. We, we, and, and I think uh, we touched on that this morning when Steve shared it, just to, you know, their family's been blessed by our body, but really it's glory to God. It's not anything we've done. It's, it's, it's the presence and the power of God working in through us, the grace and truth of God coming through the body. That's how this works, is we just pass on what God's done in our lives. And so as his representatives, we want to be able to walk in the fullness of that in the way that Jesus did. We, we want to be able to walk out grace and truth in our own lives. Anything less than that really is incomplete. We don't we don't adequately represent who Jesus is if we don't represent him in grace and truth. So what I want to look at, and this is, I think, a, a situation or a reality I've seen in the church at times, is that there can be an imbalance. You can lean too hard one way or the other. And so I want to look at what happens if you get imbalanced, if you, look, if you do truth without grace, or if you do grace without truth, and then try to look at what that looks like when they work together in unison. So, so first of all, Talking about truth, <clears throat> here's my uh, observation. And you can, you can uh, disagree if you like, that's okay. We, we allow that here. But this is my observation, is that oftentimes when there is an untempered sort of focus on truth, but a lack of grace, it, it, it ends up looking somewhat harsh and critical, somewhat judgmental and legalistic. And, and we, we kind of quickly fall into this place of being critical of other people who don't, who don't exercise the truth in the same way that we do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If, if somebody doesn't 
live their life in truth the way that I do, then it's pretty quick to be able to point the finger at them and, and throw out some Bible bullets and say, well, you, you know, do this or that or thus and so. Uh, and <coughs> one of the issues there, I think, is that it's, it tends to be focused on <coughs> our interpretation of the truth. And here's the deal. I'm going to... Here, here, this is the problem. This is the problem with that. I'm going to just... I'll tell you. I, I've been at this for a while, okay? Um, I've been teaching and preaching and that for 30 years. I've been studying the Bible and reading for 40 years. I, I put some time in. And I've, I've read a lot and I've studied a lot. And I've probably read, I don't even know, dozens and dozens and dozens of Bible commentaries and other people's perspectives on what Scripture says and what it teaches. And uh, I've listened to a lot of people I evaluated that, and here, here's what I, the conclusion I've come to, is that um, no one has a corner on the market of truth, okay? No, no one has this thing completely nailed down, okay? Uh, I think that's by design. I don't think that's bad. I think that's the way God created it, because he wants us to continually press into him for more, um, I think those that think they've got it all figured out, really, it's just a sad commentary on arrogance, if you ask me. Uh, if, you, if somebody says, I've got God all figured out, I'm like, well, hey, good for you, buddy. Because uh, uh, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I think that we are to walk this out with fear and trembling, that we are to continue to press in. We are to continue uh, to humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, sh- Show me, teach me, let me learn, let me grow in you. I don't have it all <coughs> figured out. That's what happens when you lay on the beach for too long. You just get all clogged up. <coughs> it's, uh, you guys should feel sorry for me. I, I want, here's what I want to do. I, I want to be able to stand by my own convictions. I, 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 I believe certain things that the Bible teaches... And you know what? Here's an interesting thing. I have some dear friends, very close friends, who believe that in some areas it teaches other things. And that's okay. That's okay. I, I want to stand by my conviction and say, hey, here's what I believe it says, and this is the way I'm going to live my life, but I want to at the same time be willing to listen and really hear my friends for what they're saying it teaches. I want to be able to evaluate that without just saying, no, you're wrong, g- goodbye, okay? And I want to hear their heart, and I want to listen to not only the content of what they're saying, but the intention of their heart. Are they sincere? Are they really sin- Here's what I found. This is what I found in most disputes. Really, especially, you know, theological or biblical disputes, but in any area, really, is this very often two sides of, 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 of an issue they both believe every bit as sincerely that they're right as, you know, I mean, they believe as sincerely as they're right as I do, right? And I've often found, especially in biblical dispute, that we both really want the same thing. We both want to walk out our convictions in the truth of God's Word, you know, and yet we have different opinions on how that happens. And so I, I want to be uh, as open-minded and yet walk in my own convictions, and that's a, that's a tension. There's a, there's a balance to that. It's not easy to do. Paul says this in Ephesians, and here's really the goal. 
to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, that's not easy. That's not always easy. But that's why he says make every effort. Paul recognizes it's not going to be easy to do that. Personally, you know, this is just my own heart, my own bent in this thing. One of the tragedies of a, a sort of dogmatic or legalistic approach, a mindset that is focused on truth without grace, <coughs> is that there can be a tendency then to distance yourself from the broken or the needy. I found that very often it's easy to sort of point a finger and say, well, you know, they're in, you're in this situation because of this. You're just lazy or you just don't want to have a job or you don't do this or that. And that's why you're in this situation. So if you would just do this, you know, you would be better off. And so, I, you know, I'm going to just wash my hands of that situation. And we do that without really looking at how did that person get in that situation. You know, I, I found when you hear the backstory behind uh, somebody's life very often, man, it just breaks your heart. And you wonder how the heck did they get as far as they got, you know? Um, we don't see Jesus doing that. We don't see Jesus just pointing the finger and say, hey, you know, get a job. Jesus stops and, you know, I, I, I love his interaction with people because you ever notice he asks a lot of questions? He asks questions, and he dialogues with people, and he listens to people, and he hears, and he cares. And I think that's what we've been called to do. It's not to, not to be so focused on the truth that we overlook the reality of, of the value of a person and, and who they are in Christ and what God wants to do in their life. And maybe God wants to use us to help them. So I think it can lead to legalism and, and critical sort of judgmentalism if we overemphasize truth without grace. But what if we overemphasize grace without truth? And let me just say this. I mean, again, I, 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 my, my focus, my, my heart this morning is that we would be full of both, not that we would back away from either. I, I don't intend to ever back away from the truth of Scripture, uh, nor do I ever intend to back away from the grace of God. I, I, I want to press in more fully to both. But what that means, practically speaking is that I'm going to cut people slack. All right? I, I want to allow people room for growth in their own lives. And, and let me tell you a little secret. That means I don't expect them to grow at the same rate I grow. Here, here, sometimes we sort of get to a certain place in our walk with Christ, and then we think, well, why isn't everybody where I am? Why the, I figured this out. Why can't you figure this out? You should be here today. Get with it, young lady. Do you know that we grow at different rates? Did you know that? You know, children learn at different... Some kids learn to talk sooner, some walk sooner, some read sooner. Spiritually, it's the same. Children. Some of us grow, and some of us will grow in one area and maybe not in another area of our life. And we all grow at different rates. And so I can't have the expectation that just because I've figured something out and learned how to walk in it, that everybody else should figure that out too. I, I have to be willing to allow them for growth, but at the same time, at the same time, be willing to confront them over issues I see in their life that might be unhealthy, that could be keeping them from growth. But I don't do that with a critical or judgmental attitude. I do that with a loving and gracious attitude. Yeah, some of you will remember years ago there was a, you know, a campaign against drunk driving and the little tagline was friends don't let friends drunk, drive drunk, right? Anybody remember that? 
Well, what's the, the, the heart behind that was that if I care about you, then I'm not going to let you do something that's going to hurt your life. And that's really the principle we're talking about here. If I care about you and I see something in your life that's not right, I want to come to you in love and say, hey, I'm concerned, I'm worried. I'm not going to come and say, hey, you know, get a job. I'm not going to come and say, you've got to fix this. Get over that. Stop it. I want to say, no, man, I'm, I'm concerned. Let me help you. Let me walk with you through this and try to get you to a place where you can move on. I want to bring redemption and strength and courage to people, not just critical judgment. So walking in grace doesn't mean that we excuse or overlook sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Because that's not really a loving thing to do. Walking in grace means we confront sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters, but we do it in in the spirit of unity. It's not to cause division, it's to bring us closer together. And you know, when when it really, when it's done in that spirit, it'll really do that. I've got people who in my life over... You know, my history have come to me with things that they saw that they wanted, you know, to speak into my life. And you know what? Those are some of the people that I value and care about the most because I knew they loved me enough to do that. It's awesome. It's an awesome thing. Now, somebody just comes and says, hey, you know, well, no, probably that's not somebody I'm going to look at that way. But uh, there's a difference. So there's a balance between grace and truth. We want to walk fully in both. I want to look at... Uh, we've got a few minutes left. I'll do it really quick. Uh, uh, a biblical application of those principles in play here. And it, it's in the uh, book of Romans. Paul gives us, really, he shows us a, a, a situation where this is happening. And I want to take a look at that. Romans 14, first few verses there. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So sorry. No, I'm just kidding. This is a joke. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So here's the situation. Um, one group, there's two groups of people, there's a dispute in the Roman church. Within the church, just think about the Roman church like our church, is a church, a body of people there, and there's, there's some dispute taking place there. The issue that they're disputing is eating meat. So there's one group, the, the so-called strong that eats meat. And this group, are they are Gentiles. They're Gentile converts who don't have any problem with eating meat. There's no problem for them. And they're the majority in the Roman church. Okay, it's primarily a, a Gentile church. There's another group, the so-called weak, who are uh, Jewish believers who come from a Jewish tradition. Um, they, the meat has you know, either been sacrificed or it hasn't somehow met all of the Jewish uh, customs and, and dietary restrictions, and so they say, no, we can't eat that. So they've chosen to be vegetarians instead. They don't eat the meat. They're the minority in this church, but uh, there's this little clash that's taking place between the two of them. So that's the argument. Now, let me just time out, pause, and say probably today uh, eating meat is not going to be an issue that's going to divide us in any way. It, it could happen, I suppose, but it's not a big issue that I've encountered a lot in the church. But just insert issue, okay? Whatever it is that you think might be a dispute, it could be theological, it could be something in practice. There's a, there's a hundred different things that we could potentially be disputing in the life of the church. So just insert that issue here. For Paul, the issue is this. How do we preserve the unity in the spirit of the bond of the, the, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? 
without offending anyone's convictions and yet maintaining fidelity to the Scripture? How do we do that? Okay, and he gives us the answer. And the answer really is, is in a word, accept. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable issues. Accept. Later in the next chapter, he, it, it, it really I would, sometime we'll do it. It's just such a massive undertaking, but we'll go through the book of Romans. Um, But he says, and it's a, it's a, because it goes on and continues. Romans deals with a lot of issues. But in chapter 15, he says it again, accept one another then, and here's the deal, just as Christ accepted you. So look, Jesus accepted you where you were at, so you should now accept your brother where they're at. And then he says this, and this, this, is, this is the punchline, in order to bring praise to God. What happens when we do that? God gets glorified. God gets glory. God's praise when I say, you know what, I'm going to accept my brother where they're at today. And I'm going to love them no matter what situation they're in in their life. Um, in the body of Christ, in community, there, there will be people with differing levels of faith and maturity. Okay? We're not ever going to all be at the same place at the same time. Okay? When that's never going to happen, not in this church, not in any church. You know where that happens? I'll tell you where that happens. In freaky, weird little cults. Yeah, because you've got a group, nobody new comes in, and you all believe the same, and you have to, be, you have to all do the same thing, same time, all together. That's a, that's a freaky little cult. That's what that is. In a real church, that'll never happen, because it's an, the church is an organism, not just an organization. It's growing and changing and moving. New people come, people go, people, you know, and, and we grow and we change and we move. And so some have more faith than others. There's different convictions. There's varying levels uh, of tolerance for one another. All that is happening all the time. It's always moving. It's not stagnant. Uh, a, couple, a couple points. One, first, that will always be true. It's always going to be that way. Second point is that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. Iron sharpens iron. Remember that? So, so when, when, when your faith is a little greater than mine and, and you believe in this area, I, maybe you don't even have to say anything. Maybe I watch your life and I go, dang, I want to do that. I want to be like that. Or maybe my, you know, somebody's faith is a little weaker and I want to say, hey, let's, let, you know, so we, we, we continue to mesh and grow and change together. It's a good thing. That, that's how community happens. It doesn't happen by being in total agreement all the time. It happens by growing together and loving one another in the midst of our differences. So Paul's focus is to be able to accommodate those differences in a loving way while maintaining fidelity to the Scripture. Ephesians, again, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Growing up... um, some of you know, some of you don't, and some of you don't even care. Uh, you know, John Wimber was my pastor for 20 years, and John had an ability to summarize theological truth into these funky little statements. You know what I mean? He, just was, he was a master at it. One of the things that I remember John saying over and over and over again is, your brother is never your enemy. Your brother is never your enemy. And um, we're brothers. Your brother's never your enemy. So I want to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
Don't be argumentative in your spirit. Don't, don't break unity over disputable matters. Here's the question for me. And, and look, look at... I, <coughs> again, he says, make every effort because it's not easy. And I'm not professing this to be an easy thing. And I'm not saying this just happens, you know, you just turn this on one day and it happens. But I'm saying this is the goal for me, is ask the question, is this issue more important than my relationship with this person? Am I willing to break relationship over this issue? And I think, I know in my heart when I ask that question very often, the truth is no. This issue is not more... Now, that, there, there may be a point in time when that's the case, but very often I think if you ask, is this issue more important than this relationship? I'll, I'll, at the end of the day, I'll say that relationship is more important than the issue. Can I live out my own convictions without breaking this relationship? And, and, and here's, the, here's the other part of that equation. Can I live out my own convictions without imposing them on everybody else? Just because I have a certain conviction in my life doesn't mean you have to take on that conviction. I can still walk hand in hand with you without you taking on that conviction. Does that make sense? Still with me? Look at that, man. I want to be able to, in love and in grace, confront a brother and sister whom I see if something in their life really has violated scriptural bounds. Um, I want to be able to to love them and, and speak that in their life graciously, but I don't want to do it in a way that breaks relationship with them. And I'll say, this requires humility, okay? You've got to humble yourself to be able to do that. You know why you have to humble yourself? Because the truth is, most of us have been raised in an environment where the most important thing is winning. And we, we, we go into an argument thinking, I'm, I want to be right. And we can't go into the argument with that mindset. We go into the argument with, I want to love my brother, not I want to be right. It requires humility, it requires discernment. And it requires us to be full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Um, as, as the church, as the body of Christ, we're called to be peacemakers. Uh, we, we are called to walk, I believe, on a higher plane than the rest of our culture. We're, we're called to walk, uh, you, you know, kind of the old saying, take the high road. We're, we're called to walk on the high road all the time. And, and again, I'm not here today to say that's an easy thing to do or that by any means I have accomplished all that. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm teaching the Word of God, not my experience this morning. Uh, My experience is it's not easy to get there, but the Word of God says that we can. So let's stand.